Uh, well, good to be back with you this morning. Uh, jumping back into John chapter 5, if you have a Bible, please do open it up. Uh, we're looking at verses 30 to 47 this morning. Uh, as you turn there, uh, I wonder if you've ever thought about how people can often look at the same thing or see the th- same thing, but yet come to two very different conclusions. Um, if you remember back in 2015, there was that viral uh, photo of the dress that was going around. Some people saw it as uh, the colour of the dress is black and blue, and other people saw the dress as gold and white. It was the same dress, but yet people came to very different conclusions as to what was there. So we jump back into John 5, we see that Jesus has been making some huge claims about who he is, about his authority, and about who his father is. And this has created a lot of controversy with the Jewish religious leaders who don't just disagree with what Jesus is saying, they actually want to kill him for it. So we've seen that, we've seen their rejection of Jesus, but yet we've also been seeing people respond to Jesus and believe in Jesus, like the woman at the well in chapter 4, and also the official and his whole household in chapter 4 also. We've seen people responding and believing, but yet we see people rejecting and, and, and not listening to what Jesus would have to say and ultimately wanting to kill him. And that's still the case for us today, isn't it? That we, we know what Jesus has said and, and we have a record of his signs. We all have the same evidence in front of us, yet some people still choose to reject Jesus while some people receive and believe in Jesus. For some people, it might be a lack of evidence. The famous atheist Richard Dawkins was asked this question, if you died and arrived at the gates of heaven, what would you say to God to justify your lifelong atheism? And in response, he quotes Bertrand Russell, who's also another famous atheist. He says this, not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. But the reality is that as we've been going through John, we've seen that God has shown himself in the person of Jesus. And what our time in John this morning will show us that ultimately the reason that we choose to reject Jesus is not because of a lack of evidence, but ultimately because pride that exists within our hearts. It's not a head issue, it's a heart issue. And that's what Jesus is really doing here with the religious leaders. He's exposing their heart and he's through these verses exposing our heart also. So the first thing we see here is that the reason I reject Jesus isn't because of lack of evidence in front of me. Verse 30 is really a helpful summary of everything that's gone before. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus has restating his authority, given to him by the Father. Everything he does is because of and for the Father. And particularly here he's mentioning his authority to judge if you look at verse 30. And the reality is that no one is exempt from that judgment. We saw that back in verse 28 where all who are in their tombs will be raised to judgment. So this affects all of us. And that's why this really matters. That's why this evidence really matters that Jesus is going to present us with. Jesus claims affect our attorney and he provides evidence here to back that claim up. Notice verse 31, Jesus recognises that his testimony on its own isn't sufficient evidence. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. It's like if I was to stand here this morning and tell you that I'm the king of the United Kingdom, um, you would have good cause to want to see evidence for that or maybe like a birth certificate or you would want someone to verify those claims. My testimony on its own would not be sufficient. And Jesus in saying this is keeping is in, in keeping with Old Testament law where multiple witnesses were required. He's not saying that his own testimony in and of itself is false but that on its own it's not sufficient. But the reality is there is someone else who bears witness to Jesus. That's what verse 30 tells us. There is another. That is God the Father who bears witness about me. And Jesus knows that the testimony that he bears about him is true. So that's what we're going to see. We're going to see three ways that the Father witnesses to the authority of Jesus. The first way he does that is through John the Baptist. 
It was the Father who sent John in chapter 1 verse 6. We've already met John. We've seen that he is the one who's come to prepare the way for Jesus, to announce his arrival. He claims that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist really um, serves importantly as a human witness, a real life historical person, flesh and blood, who can testify who Jesus is. He fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. He saw Jesus, he heard Jesus, and he confirmed his identity. But interestingly, if you notice in verse 34, Jesus tells us that although John the Baptist here is presented as a credible witness, his testimony isn't really necessary in order to authenticate Jesus' claims. We might wonder, well then, why why isn't it necessary? Because ultimately divine authority is authenticated not by human witness, but by heavenly witness. Human witness isn't sufficient to testify to divine authority. If Jesus is God, if he is who he says he is, then by very definition there is no higher authority to appeal to than God himself. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 32. Only, Really only the Father's testimony can bear the weight of Jesus' claims. So then why is John presented to us at all as a witness? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 34, God graciously sent John the Baptist to testify to Jesus' identity. He didn't have to, but in order that we might be saved. He sent someone to make it clear so that we might be saved. And it's it's easy to brush past this in amongst all the animosity and the tension of this encounter between Jesus and the religious leaders, that Jesus here, his heart towards them and, and, and in providing this evidence is so that they might be saved, so that you, so that me might be saved. This isn't about winning an argument for Jesus. It's about awakening us to our need to come to him and be saved by him and have life. And it seems like the Jewish religious leaders at one time accepted John's testimony, at least for a little while. That's what we find in in verse 35. John was a burning and shining lamp and you, that's the religious leaders, were willing to rejoice in that light for a while. So they rejoiced with John, but ultimately they mustn't really have been listening to what John was saying because John spoke about Jesus. Maybe they only hung about with John for the interesting religious discussions or maybe they just liked the buzz of the crowd. Or maybe ultimately in the end, John the Baptist was exposing their hypocrisy and undermining their authority because of what he was teaching about Jesus. That's what light does, isn't it? It exposes. That's what the lights that are around me right now, which you can't see, but they're exposing things about me that maybe I wouldn't want you to see. Light exposes things, right? Human testimony to Jesus is a gracious thing given to us by God in order to help us believe so that we might be saved. Whilst God doesn't need us to authenticate who he is nevertheless God uses human means in order to help people hear about Jesus that's why we need to go and tell people about Jesus that's why personal testimony is often so powerful in helping people come to Jesus that's why we preach God's word because people need to hear about Jesus and God uses human means to do so people encounter Jesus as we expose him from the text of scripture and that's that's why we're doing this right now And like John the Baptist's ministry, some people will rejoice and respond and believe, but others will reject and ultimately walk away, even if they stay in the light for a while, because ultimately the word of God and Jesus proves too exposing for them. So the confidence that we can have then is that as we proclaim Jesus, as we tell other other people about him, we don't need to bear the burden of proving his authority. He does that for himself and he doesn't need us to do it. He's perfectly capable of doing that on his own. That means when we come to telling people about Jesus, we can have a confidence and a certainty about who he is and about his authority, no matter the cost of doing that. 
The second way that God the Father witnesses to Jesus' authority is through his signs. That's what verse 36 tells us. Jesus says that John's testimony was important, yes, and it was critical, but my testimony is even greater than that. Why? Because John couldn't do and he didn't do the things that I've done and the things that I am doing, the things that God the Father has enabled me to do. John's gospel describes these signs, these miracles of Jesus as signs that the miracles that Jesus performs point towards his glory. They display his divinity. I wonder if you can remember some of the signs that we've seen so far in John's gospel. We think back to chapter 2 and the turning water into wine at Cana. We think of chapter 4, the healing of the official son. And there's many other signs as well. And we'll see that as we go through John's gospel. One commentator, commentator helpfully draws out a number of important aspects of uh, regarding the validity of these signs. First, the quantity of them. There wasn't just one or two or three. There was loads of them. The quality of them as well. Jesus didn't just heal sore backs or sore heads. He raised lame people up. He raised people from the dead. He turned water into wine. These aren't ordinary, simple things. He performed them publicly. Many people saw them. They weren't just done in a secret room or they weren't just done amongst his friends uh, and they were able to you know, get their story together uh, to tell other people. They were done in front of lots of witnesses. And then fourthly, the nature. Jesus doesn't just exhibit um, his power for the sake of it. The nature of his miracles really point to what he is like. He's not just like the Hulk, okay? The Hulk just uses his power to smash things up. Okay, he's probably my favourite comic book character and not just because he's green. But he just smashes things up, right? He smashes tanks about, he brings helicopters down. He just causes lots of damage. But that's not how Jesus uses his power. Jesus' signs are ones of love and compassion, like when he heals the lame man by the pool. They're ones of mercy and generosity, like when he turns the water into wine at Cana. Even when he controlled the weather in other parts of the Gospels, he wasn't just doing it for the sake of displaying his power, but ultimately to provide safety and protection for those with him. That's what his signs are like, and they point to what he is like. And we can't just write them off because we think they're weird when there's so much eyewitness testimony to back them up. Next, in verse 37 to 38, we circle back to the role that God the Father plays with respect to witnessing to Jesus. The Jewish religious leaders who are seeking to defend God and who above all people should know God are told here that they never heard his voice or seen him, nor do they have his word abiding in him. Why? Because they reject the one that he has sent. They reject Jesus. They fail to see that Jesus is the form of God. That's what Philippians 2, 6 tells us. Jesus was in the form of God. Colossians 2, 9 tells us that in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And Hebrews 1 tells us that, yes, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, who is the radiance of glory and the exact imprint of his nature. So God has made himself known supremely in the person of Jesus Christ. God has sent Jesus into the world. What more evidence do we need of who God is? Jesus is the very form of God. In him the fullness of deity dwells and he is the final authoritative word of God. So God hasn't left us guessing with respect to who he is. He has revealed his glory in the person of Jesus. The third way that the Father witnessed to, to the Son is also is, is through Scripture. We've seen John the Baptist, we've seen signs, and now we see that the Father witnesses through Scripture. The very fact that we hold this book in our hands, the very fact that it's been preserved and provided for us as evidence of God's desire to reveal himself to us and, and of his love for us. Verse 39 says that you search the scriptures, that is the religious leaders, Jesus is telling them you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
And it is they that bear witness about me that he recognises that these guys are diligent, right? They memorise, they, they study, they know God's word. They would have prided themselves on that. But they completely miss the whole point. Such a, an important thing to realise that we can study and memorise and look, but we can miss the point of the scriptures. They thought that it was scripture that would save them. But they failed to see that the scriptures testified to the fact that it was only Jesus that could save them. They failed to grasp the big picture of the Bible, which dealt with their biggest problem. Uh, a couple of years ago, we got the chance to go to uh, Paris. And um, when you go to a city like Paris, you have to become a little bit more cultured than normal. So we went to the Louvre, to the art museum. And obviously when you go there, the painting that everyone goes to see is the Mona Lisa. When you walk into the room, uh, the Mona Lisa's in the middle of the room. You'll notice everyone looking uh, at it. And one of the first things that really struck me was just how small it was. The Mona Lisa is actually only three quarters of a metre by half a metre. It's quite a small painting. Um, but you go up and you look at it. And in doing so, though, you miss something behind you. You miss a seven by ten metre painting of the wedding at Cana with Jesus right in the middle of the picture. It's probably one of the most overlooked paintings in the whole gallery. That's what the religious leaders have done here. They failed to see the big picture. They completely missed the point. For them, they had got so caught up in the detail of the law, like the Sabbath, which is what they really began to accuse Jesus about at the beginning of chapter 5. They, began, they got so caught up in that that they, they missed the only means by which they could have life. Luke 24 is also quite helpful in understanding this, uh, the reality that all of Scripture is about Jesus. Um, Jesus has meets uh, some, some disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he says this to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's helpful to know that the law and the prophets and the writings were the three divisions of the Old Testament. And the Psalms, Jesus used the word Psalms there, but really the Psalms are the most significant part of the writings. So when he's referring to the Psalms, really he's referring to the writings. So basically he's saying, all of the Old Testament speaks to me. We've seen examples of that in John's Gospel. We've seen what one being uh, chapter 2 where we see Jesus went in and turned the tables in the temple. That he is fulfilling Psalm 69 with regards to zeal for God's house. What was happening here was that the religious leaders had, hadn't allowed what God's word had to say to penetrate their hearts. It was, it, it was all in their heads but it hadn't penetrated their hearts. They were really blind to Jesus. What they failed to understand was that the law that they prided themselves on and knowing and obeying wasn't ultimately able to save them. It's not that the law in itself wasn't good. It's that we aren't good. We can't meet the law's demands. We fall short of God's standards because of our sinful hearts. And the law is ultimately designed to lead us towards Jesus. It is our guide to show us that we need him to do it for us. When Jesus came, we came, he, he fulfilled the law, he perfectly met us to find the demands and he defeated the curse of the law for us which is death. We saw that in John 1.17 said the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What we see here then in John 5.39 Luke 24 is that the Old Testament promises Christ and the New Testament reveals Christ and at the centre of the whole story is the cross where Jesus dealt with our sins so that we might be reconciled to God. That's what the call of verse 40 is. It's to come to Jesus, to receive his grace, to lay aside our striving and our effort and, to, uh, and, and, and our desire and our ability to try and save ourselves, but to, to lean on him and to rest on him and to find life in him. The question remains though, 
Of all people, these guys who knew the Old Testament inside out, who saw Jesus' signs, who heard him speak, okay, he, they actually saw his signs, they actually spoke, they actually heard him speak face to face, and yet they still couldn't see who Jesus really was. I wonder if that's true of you. If you don't know Jesus, these witnesses just aren't enough to convince you. Or for those who do know Jesus, how come there are times when we really struggle to believe God's word, to find joy in it, to, to treasure it and to, to, to obey it? Times when we fail to see how Jesus has really changed our life. Times when we fail to submit to his authority. But that's the second thing we see here. The, the, we see here the reason I reject Jesus isn't because of lack of evidence in front of me. Really the, the root of rejection is because of pride that exists inside of me. What we see in verse 41 to 47 is that proof of Jesus isn't the problem. Praise of other people is. Seeking praise of other people is. That's really the problem. The tables have now turned in this trial. Okay, Jesus transitions here from defending his divinity to exposing the hard hearts of those who oppose him. He exposes three heart attitudes manifested through pride that they and that we need to guard ourselves against. The first one is that I only love what brings me pleasure. The reason we can't see Jesus and we submit to his authority is because our love, because of our love of self. Our love of self blinds us to the beauty of God, the beauty of Jesus. That's what verse 41, 42 tells. We don't see Jesus because ultimately we don't want to. Loving God would mean loving God would then mean having to love something other than ourselves. Loving God like, like Jesus did would mean living to please someone else. Instead, we follow the deceitful desires of our heart and please ourselves. This love of self manifests itself in, in many different ways in our lives. It can manifest itself when we love when love of another person captivates us so much that our affections are, are more captured for them than for Jesus and it causes us to compromise when it comes to our walk with Jesus. Love of money controls our affections to the extent that we either avoid sacrifice and we become greedy or we slip into anxiety and it takes control over us. Or love of self can lead us to protect our reputation at all costs by hiding our sin and therefore living hypocritically and instead all we do is highlight the sin of others. A heart that loves God and seeks God will see Jesus, embrace him and trust him and submit to him because it knows that there is nothing more that it can need or want. God first loved you and me in sending Jesus. The invitation here is for us to experience the free and undeserving love of God that leads to life. The second heart attitude which we need to guard against is this. I look for praise from other people. This, and, and this is really bringing us to the heart of the accusation that Jesus makes against them. The reason they couldn't see the glory of God is because they were so consumed with seeking glory and praise from one another. When we become consumed by what others think of us, even what we can think of us, we end up not caring about what God thinks of us. Pursuit of, other pra- pursuit of praise from other people might look like, you know, we prefer popularity rather than uh, pursuing Jesus. When it comes to our colleagues or our classmates, classmates or friends, we, pre- we pretend we don't know Jesus or we, we pretend we don't follow Jesus or at best we maybe play it down. Or it might manifest itself in thinking that other people can give us what only God can. Ultimately, they, we know that they can't give us what God can, that what they give us won't last. Only Jesus can give us something that lasts and that is eternal life. John 5.43 says, I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. So they're willing to receive other people and they're willing to receive people who are ultimately only about themselves. 
So they refuse Jesus who wants to humble himself and, and is sacrificial and lives for the Father. But yet they like it when people come and are all about themselves and want to make much of themselves. Why is that? Because other people are like us. We like other people because they're exactly like us. Because they too want to make much of themselves and seek praise from other people. That's really the definition of false worship, isn't it? We love something that resembles us because we don't like authority. We worship something like us because it means our sin doesn't get exposed and it makes us feel safe. But the reality is that when we live for the affirmation and praise of others, we become blind to the fact that they can never bless us the way God can. They can't fulfill our deepest desires and they only offer us false security. And ultimately they can't solve our deepest problem of sin. So humility is necessary in order to truly see Jesus. And when we see his glory, we find grace, we find acceptance, we find eternal life, we find eternal security, we find eternal forgiveness of sins. The third attitude, hard attitude we need to guard ourselves against is this. I set my hope in the wrong person. That's what verse 45 to 46 tells. Jesus says in verse 45, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. So they they thought that by obeying the law, which was their ultimate hope, that their obedience made them acceptable to God. They thought that obeying the law was enough to make them acceptable to God. And therefore, they didn't need Jesus and they didn't want Jesus. They set their hope on Moses and the law, which ultimately means they set their hope on themselves on their own abilities and their own obedience and their ability to obey. But we need grace because the reality is we aren't good enough to obey the law. That's why Jesus had to come. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It had to come through Jesus. We need grace because we can't obey the law. And their pride prevented them from seeing that. It prevented them from seeing that they had a problem. It prevented them from seeing that they were far from perfect. And Jesus now tells them the very thing that they think makes them acceptable to God, the law, is actually now going to turn against them and accuse them. So their evidence has massively backfired. They were using the law, particularly the law of the Sabbath, to really go at Jesus. And that massively backfires on them now. In light of the law, all of us feel, but Jesus fulfilled the law for us so that we might have life. So when we come to God's word, we come to see it not for what we can do because we can't do enough. But we get to come and see what God has done for us in Jesus. That is the amazing joy of coming to God, of coming to his word. We get to see what God has done for us in Jesus. So we need to, we need to come to God's word and not treat it like a textbook the way the religious leaders did. But we, we need to treat it like treasure. We need to treat it as something that we can find true joy in. We need to come to it ready and expecting and wanting to encounter Jesus who is good enough, who did fulfill the law and who can save us. When we used to go on holidays growing up, um, um, myself and my brother loved uh, to get in the pool and one of the games we loved to play in the pool and particularly when you're in a hot country you spend a lot of time in the pool so you need some games in the pool. Uh, We used to uh, throw coins in the deep end and then race to see who could get the coin first. I, I, I don't know about you, but I hate swimming in water without goggles. I really needed goggles in order to be able to find the coin before my brother did. And that's the reality for uh, us when we come to uh, see Jesus and we come to his word, is that we can't see treasure unless the eyes of our heart have been opened. We need our eyes to be opened in order to see who Jesus really is. We need the hardness of our heart removed. We need that pride purged. So as we seek to encounter Jesus either for the first time 
or as those who are in relationship with him already, we need to come humbly and we need to ask for the eyes of our heart to be opened. We need to ask for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. We need to repent of our rebellion towards God and ask that God would show us his mercy and grace in Jesus. And if we already know Jesus, then we can be assured of the help that his spirit gives us, which is dwelling within us, to help us see him and to submit to him. That is a great comfort that we have. When our hearts are drifting from God in our relationship with him or we, we feel dry when it comes to our relationship with him, we can keep coming to him and we have the confidence that we have the help of his spirit to help us see. We need to cry out that God would open our eyes and help us to see Jesus and submit to him. Prayer itself in many ways is the means by which the barrier of pride is broken down and stops us from seeing Jesus. So, so we come to him, we pray to him, we ask him to open the eyes of our heart, we ask him to humble us, we ask him to remove any sense of pride in order to help us see that we need him. So we've seen that the reality is that when it comes to Jesus' authority, we don't submit to him because of lack of evidence. Jesus has shown us that proof really isn't the problem. No, the root of our rejection of Jesus' authority is ultimately because of our hearts. Hearts that think they don't need him. Hearts that don't want him. Hearts that are blinded by pride and unbelief. The warning here is that there the warning here is that we need to come before God with a humble and needy heart. We need to encounter the person of Jesus within the pages of Scripture by seeking his glory in order to receive his grace. The invitation here is to come to him so that we might see his glory and be saved by him. And I pray that you would know that joy, that God's spirit would work in your heart and move in your heart to enable you to see the grace of Jesus and to be saved by him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that you have made yourself so known, that in your love for us and in your desire to know us, Father, you have revealed yourself to us. And we ask, Father, please, that you would remove any sense of pride or any self sense of self-sufficiency. Father, that you remove uh, those blinders from our hearts and from our minds so that we might really see Jesus, that we might behold him, that we might treasure him and encounter him and rest in the fact that he has done everything that we can never do, that he has fulfilled the law, that he has perfectly obeyed, that he graciously gives us life. Father, we don't need to keep trying. We don't need to keep striving, Father. In Jesus, we have all that we could ever need or want. And I pray that you would make that so real to us now, Father, that you would stir our hearts and deepen our affection for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.